0: Welcome to Men's Health Monthly with Dr. Tom Walsh, Director of the University of Washington's Men's Health Center and Associate Professor of Urology at the UW, featuring important topics dealing with men's health, including prostate cancer and erectile dysfunction. Here's your host, Neil Scott.
1: Welcome to the June edition of Men's Health Monthly, a very special month, as June is National Men's Health Month, and we will be joined by a special guest from Washington, D.C., representing the National Men's Health Network. I'm Neil Scott, along with my co-host, Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center. He joins me every month to discuss topics targeted to men and provides resources for immediate action. As the COVID-19 lockdown continues, we hope that you're following prescribed guidelines with personal hygiene, social distancing, and wearing a mask when around others. During these challenging and changing times, good health, good men's health, must continue to be a priority as we mentioned last month the uw men's health center is open they're seeing patients through telemedicine as well as in-person visits following appropriate protocol as well and since june is men's health month this is the perfect time to take care of your male business if you have a regular health care provider give him or her a call set up an appointment and if you don't have a health care provider, then contact UWMedicine.org. They can hook you up with a doc and get you in right away. Would you like to add anything, Dr. Walsh?
0: Well, just that it's great to be here, Neil. It's, as usual, great to hear your voice. I hear from a lot of my patients some amount of trepidation about stepping into a healthcare center uh, for their healthcare needs. I want to let everyone know that one of the things that this COVID pandemic has really brought about is the introduction of telemedicine. What myself, a lot of my colleagues and doctors across Seattle and across the nation are doing for appropriate people, we're really looking ahead and offering them a telemedicine visit. So if you feel that coming in face-to-face is not best for you, let us know. We're happy to see you through a secure video interface where we can talk about what's ailing you, talk about what's on your mind, and set you on the right path.
1: Before we get to our guest, let's check the anonymous inbox with questions for Dr. Walsh. Here's one from a guy in his 20s. His name is Mark, lives on Bainbridge Island, and he writes, I'm a guy who's 23 years old and feels terribly embarrassed about the size of his penis, which is quite small. There have been so many advances in men's health over the last 20 years. Is there surgery available, or is there one on the horizon to increase a man's penis size? Tom?
0: Mark, the, the first thing that you need is you need to see an expert to really examine you and go through a series of measurements to determine, are you really small? There's small, and then there's what you may perceive to be small, and those may be two different things. Now, I'm confident that since the dawn of modern medicine, surgeons, urologists, uh, and the like have been searching for methods to safely enlarge the male phallus. For men who truly have a very real deficit and with some medical conditions, there are surgical treatments that can be applied to you. But for most men, there really is no safe way to enlarge the phallus. The best way to know is to meet with an expert. So this would be a perfect opportunity for you, somebody like you, Mark, to be seen at the Men's Health Center. Let's have a conversation and determine what your needs really are. For guys who are average, there's no quick fix, Neil.
1: William from Capitol Hill wants to know, I have been prescribed lorazepam for anxiety. I'm in my mid-70s, and I'm concerned about being addicted to lorazepam, which I'm supposed to be taking, Uh, although I have a brother who has taken it for close to 20 years. How concerned should I be?
0: Oh, boy. You know, I appreciate your concern, uh, William, and I think that lorazepam is a class of drug called a benzodiazepine. This is a class of drug that is commonly used for what we call anxiolysis or extinction of anxiety. It's also used for sedation, and it does have a lot of side effects, and it can be physiologically addicting. For somebody in your age category, William, I worry about some of the side effects and whether or not there could be a better medicine for you. And I wonder if it would be worthwhile for you to make an appointment with your primary care doctor to discuss other options. I think the fact that you've brought this to the forefront really shows your level of concern in the investigation you've done. And and I think there are more questions that need to be answered. So if you have a primary care doctor or whoever's prescribing that lorazepam to you, engage them in a discussion. What might be better for you? If you don't have a primary care doctor, please get one. You can do that at UW Medicine by calling uh, 206-520-5000 or go to our website at uwmedicine.org.
1: And a quick one from Rich in Tacoma. Is it safe to take testosterone supplements like DHEA to help with erectile dysfunction?
0: So that is a really fantastic question, uh, and this has actually been studied in randomized control trials, as has the impact of direct testosterone supplementation on sexual function. What has been shown is that DHEA, which is a over-the-counter testosterone precursor, really affords no real benefit in health outcomes, sexual function or otherwise for men So I really don't recommend it. And there are some studies suggesting adverse events. So with regard to that over-the-counter precursor DHEA, it really is not recommended. For men who have undergone appropriate testing and have been found to have genuinely low testosterone along with symptoms of a disease that we call hypogonadism, that can genuinely benefit men's sexual function and their sexual quality of life. There are a number of different doctors who take care of this. One would be your general doctor. Another would be a urologist or an endocrinologist.
1: If you have a question for Men's Health Monthly to Dr. Walsh, send your email to the anonymous inbox at menshealthmonthly at iHeartMedia.com. Let's get to our special guest this month, who is the vice president of the Men's Health Network, headquartered in Washington, D.C., Anna Tomsic, who oversees health education for men, boys, and their families. She's a huge advocate for men's health research. Welcome to Men's Health Monthly, Anna, and let's start with the obvious, why is a woman helping lead the charge for men's health?
2: <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. You know, I get that question a lot. It, for me, my answer is always, we focus so much on women's health and I am very religious about taking care of my own health. I go to the doctor annually. I help my parents with their visits. I now have a son and so always with a doctor with him doing his you know monthly checkups and everything. So here I am in this position because a lot of times men just, it's, it's hard for them to listen and to understand some things. And so when it comes down to knowing the healthcare system, women are the ones that are very familiar with it everybody goes to the pediatrician from the age that from they're born until about 18 or whenever you are off your parents' insurance, you're done with a pediatrician. But women, we get put into the um, OBGYN. So we have our female health doctor, but men don't have that. So men are kind of lost in that way. And because I've, I started in health education and promotion here and worked my way up to be VP of the organization. I really feel like I have my, backgrounds, being able to say, I go to the doctor, I am an advocate for my husband, for my father, now for my son, you know, to really provide that health expertise. And a lot of men listen to women. A lot of times they don't, but or they don't want to admit that they do. But, you know, in this case, I I get a lot of men that come to me with questions and really thankful that I'm able to to help them out.
0: I I love that answer because I give a talk, Anna, that I provide to general health care providers about the need for men's health and men's health advocacy. And it's a slide looking at the demographics of how men and women or boys and girls seek health care differently. And if you look back, there's only really one time in a man's life where there's equivalency between men and women. And that really is when they're, when their mother's making the appointments.
2: Yeah, it's a very difficult thing to get through because you don't have that one male-specific doctor. We know that that young boys should be getting tested for testicular cancer. So, testicular cancer occurs between ages 15 and 35. You know, you can put out the infographics. You can put the shower hangers in there, the door hangers, um, which we have. But if no one's pushing them to go, they're going if they're in the military, some kind of uniform services where they have to have those annual checkups to be able to serve, or when they have an STD and they just want to get checked or if they have the flu and they just need to go. But other than that, they're not really going because there's no real testing. Women have to get their pap smears. Women have to get breast exams. Women get pregnant. And so there's that regular interaction that women have with a physician that men just don't. And it's hard to get guys to go and do it when they think that they're healthy.
1: Anna Tomsik is vice president of the Men's Health Network. She is joining us on this month's edition of Men's Health Monthly. Talk about the challenges inherent in getting young men to really take control of their health, especially when they feel invincible.
2: Growing up, boys are taught from a very young age, man up, be a man. When dad goes on a work trip, then he's told hey you're the man of the house you have to take care of your mom and your sister or whoever's in the family so that puts a lot of pressure on them when they're in junior high and high school and they're playing sports if you get injured the coach doesn't say oh it's okay go take a rest no he'll say run in, run around an extra lap and you know run it off so men are predisposed to that messaging where unless you're dying you don't really need to cry about it and it's the kind of the machismo way of thinking about it, that I feel healthy and I look healthy, therefore I must be healthy. So we're always trying to get young guys, especially to understand that it's important to know what your health status is. Go and get your physical done. Make sure you're checking in with your doctor. Cancer in general knows no age. Most young men are, they are susceptible to testicular cancer, but there's other things that can happen as well. But these guys go out there and unless they have an STD. They're not going to the school health clinics. They're just out and and doing their own thing. If they've got a broken bone, that's the only time they're out. They're not on the field and they're not on the court playing because they physically can't, but they try to run through that pain. They try to push through that pain and it lasts long-term because all of a sudden they turn 40 or 50 and now the doctor's like, hey, colonoscopy, hey, prostate exam and then they're like, well what do we do? Who do we go to? What what is this whole process of the doctor supposed to be?
1: What is the men's health network doing to change all of this, Anna?
2: We're trying to do a lot of education. You know, in this day and age, we've done a lot in person with in-person events and we've done social media. Because of COVID-19, everything has gone into social media and online awareness. On our website, we host a lot of patient education materials. We have things for young men, teenagers, college-age students around healthy eating, healthy living, STDs, you know, proper sexual health. And then it goes into the other age groups and really trying to get them where they are. And when we're doing events in person... We're doing community events, we're working with fraternities, we're working with churches, trying to reach men where they are. That's part of our motto, or in our mission, is reaching men where they live, work, play, and pray. That's where they're going to feel comfortable, that's where they're going to get those messages and really reaching out to the women in their lives, whether it's their mother, their sister, their wife, their partner, trying to get them to help with getting the the messaging out because men don't take messages the same way women do. Women, we like reading, we get into detail, we like those paragraphs. Men, bullet points, images, uh, really trying to get to the message as opposed to trying, you know, everything else around it.
1: You are a huge advocate for men's health research. What is happening in the area of research?
2: So we're seeing a lot more activity around men's health research. Uh, we're working with the CORI, which is the Patient Centered Outcomes Research Institute, on mental health in men and boys. Truly really trying to see what is going on with the youth of America. What are schools teaching? These boys, you know, mm-hmm. we've had Capitol Hill briefings on the same topic with principals that have come in and school administrators to discuss where are we losing these kids from a young elementary school age to high school to college. Uh, they're a very easily um, accessed group when you are reaching their parents. And so a lot of the things that we're doing is reaching parents about their kids' health trying to get them to talk to their children. And a lot of this is communication and having open communication lines, whether it's you to your partner, to your loved one, or you to your child, not to be afraid to discuss what good health is. Because right now we're seeing that a lot of young kids, a lot of young men are more adapt to their health status. They're paying attention. Whereas you know, you look to my grandparents or even my parents' age, they're not talking about health at the dinner table. My husband and I talk about health at the dinner table because we want to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're both being healthy so we can live a long, healthy life. Dr. Walsh?
1: Anna, one of the
0: reasons that we opened the UW Medicine Men's Health Center um, now more than half a decade ago was that we wanted to create a place that was a big open door a place that made it seem just a little bit easier to walk through that door and become connected to healthcare and i'm curious if you can comment on that i mean what do we need to do in the same way young women become connected to an obstetrician gynecologist for routine screening routine education what are the different ways in which we can help young adolescent men become more connected to walk through a door and learn that that health is not so scary
2: So definitely creating that environment. When you're looking at doctor's offices, if you're a 20-year-old boy who is still going to the pediatrician because they see up to a certain age, and all you see is children's books and toys, or you're at a doctor's office that has a lot of female information there, you don't really feel welcome. And so that kind of turns you off to that. So really creating an environment that is male-friendly, having information specifically related to males. Having the the physicians and the nurses talk to them about these male topics. A lot of boys at a young age are not comfortable having their parents in the room to discuss things or they think, oh, the doctor's gonna tell my mom and dad that I'm thinking about sex or that I had sex and I have this STD. You know, so really making it geared towards men. Also ours is important because a lot of the men that we work with often tell us I can't get to the doctor's office because I'm working during that time. Unfortunately, um, there isn't that time built into a workday for a man as it would be for a woman as easy to say, hey, I have a wellness visit. I need to go get checked out. You know, people kind of expect that from the females. They expect, okay, she is a young female that is of childbearing age. She needs to be going to the doctor once a year to get this and this done for men because they don't have that one specific doctor. They're not really doing that. Um, So I really think that making an environment and having the hours where men can come on weekends or after work hours, having that availability. You had mentioned um, telehealth earlier. I think a lot more men would be willing to do that because there is that stigma for a lot of men that going to the doctor means that I'm not healthy. Going to the doctor means that there's something wrong with me and I don't want my buddy to know that I've got something wrong with me. I don't want my parents to think that there's an issue that I have. I'm healthy. I feel fine. Um, so, you know, making that environment that is, is comfortable for them to to go to, I think that's a, a huge thing. And the fact that you guys have been around for 10 years and have been doing the, the work and you're still around means something. That means that there are men that are coming to see you that trust the facility, that trust the doctors. And that's what you have to do for guys is make it a trustworthy environment.
1: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Men's Health Monthly, heard on 950 KJR last Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. and at 7.30 a.m. on 102.5 KZOK, and that's on the last Sunday of every month. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll continue our discussion with Anna Thompson, Vice President of the National Men's Health Network in Washington, D.C., during this National Men's Health Month. By the way, please visit menshealthmonth.org. You'll find a list of articles resources, and a lot of information about men's health. We will be right back. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this, or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist in Seattle to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. Welcome back to Men's Health Monthly. I'm Neil Scott, along with my co-host, Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center. Our special guest this month by phone is Anna Tomsik. She is the vice president of the Men's Health Network in Washington, D.C., as we celebrate National Men's Health Month. Dr. Walsh,
0: you know, Anna, I I feel like these are incredible times, right? I mean, first we have the, the COVID 19 pandemic, and now our country is really struggling with issues of race and disparities. And I'm I'm curious what your experience is as that relates to men's health. Do we see disparities in how men of different races are accessing healthcare? Are African American men less likely to be connected to healthcare than, say, white men?
2: So it definitely depends on where you're from, right? If you are in a well established area that has three different hospitals within 20 miles, then you have more access than someone who lives in a rural area of, you know, let's say in Georgia, that you have to drive two hours to get to your nearest health center. That's going to cause more problems because then you have to consider, are you going, you know, do you have the time to take off work or to drive all that way to go see a doctor for a 10, 15 minute visit? You kind of weigh the pros and cons there. So there are definitely disparities when it comes to race. African-Americans definitely have higher risk for diabetes and heart disease, African-American men for prostate cancer. The normal age, as recommended by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, is that men over the age of 50 get screened for prostate cancer. And so it's a blood test to test the PSA and then also the the digital rectal exam. We recommend that African-American men and men who have a family history of prostate cancer, that they go Uh, beginning at the age of 40. So kind of similar to how for women, if your mother, aunt, or your grandmother had breast cancer, you want to go 10 years before the age they were diagnosed to get your mammograms done. So although there's no hard recommendation for men about prostate cancer with that, we recommend, you know, just getting your PSA, the blood work done, and tracking your numbers. So when you're in an area that doesn't have quality food within the grocery stores, or you're just more susceptible to fast food and lower quality foods, you're going to have higher problems or more problems with obesity and with good health. So there's definitely that disparity there.
0: If I can just say as an absolute call to action, if nothing else were to come from our program today, Neil, it would be the call to action uh, with regard to prostate cancer screening, that it is just well understood that African-American men are at higher risk. And when they are diagnosed, they often have more aggressive disease. So if I could put out a message for prostate cancer screening with your primary care doctor with a PSA, and if you have questions, seeing a place Uh, like our providers at UW Medicine and the Men's Health Center. If nothing else were to come from tonight, that would be a win.
2: If I could add to that statement, by going and getting a prostate cancer test exam, if you have a PSA that is higher than normal, That does not mean that you have to go and do any kind of radical treatment for prostate cancer. You need to have that communication with your doctor. As I mentioned earlier about having open communication with your loved ones, you also need to have that communication with your physician and that team because sometimes you can do active surveillance and just watch and wait to see what happens. It could be an infection. It could just be a blip on one of your tests. But definitely have that conversation because being diagnosed with prostate cancer is not a death sentence. And a lot of men that we work with automatically think, oh my gosh, I have prostate cancer. And that is the end for me. And it's definitely not.
0: Anna, thank you. Because what I like to say to all men out there don't be afraid of seeing us because the vast majority of what we do in an office like ours or any doctor's office or any healthcare provider's office is teach. Uh, we really just teach. We gain information and we teach. So d- don't be afraid of learning more
1: about your health. Anna, one of the things you said earlier was that the uh, Men's Health Network likes to meet men where they are, where they work, where they play, and where they pray. Is there a role for organized religion in teaching men about men's health care?
2: A lot of the faith-based institutions relate good health and good spiritual health. So they'll talk about, you know, how in order to keep your spiritual health uh, healthy, you need to have good physical health. And so different institutions will implement, hey, after our service, we're going to go do a walk around the block, or we're going to have a healthy potluck, or we're going to provide this kind of support. Um, We've worked with churches across the country, particularly here in the D.C. area, that host monthly events or annual events for June Men's Health Month or September Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. They do events for their congregation to be able to raise that awareness. And it's made into a community event. So although it's a men's health event, Women are welcome. Children are welcome because we want it to be family focused. You're more likely to get a man to come to the event if his family could be there, if his friends can be there. Kids are going to be happy if they have that bouncy house or if they have the (laughs) the face painter. And so it involves the entire family because your good health is your good family health, which is good community health, and that benefits everyone.
1: What can women do to inspire, motivate, encourage behavior change in their men
2: oh so much there's there's so much that we women can do i could go on and on about this primarily listen you know they always say you've got two years and one mouth for a reason <laughs> um, and because men are so less likely to discuss issues like this When a man comes to you and actually starts talking about it, the important thing to do is listen and not to be judgmental and not to pass any kind of judgment to him. We encourage the women in the lives to help form questions. So first, encourage him to go to the doctor. If he's scared, if he can't make an appointment, make the appointment for him. If he's scared to attend that appointment by himself, go with him. If he doesn't want you in the room, then sit in the waiting room and wait Um, But prior to that, come up with a list of questions, you know, look back. If you know, your appointment is in one month, start looking now and say, okay, I've been noticing that I get a lot of heartburn after I eat this pepperoni pizza and I have pepperoni pizza every Friday, you know, bring that up to your doctor or I, I've started working out and I've got this tension in my shoulder. So, you know, come up with a list of questions so that we all know what happens. You go into the doctor's office and you think I've got to ask this, 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 I only have 10 minutes with my doctor. And then your doctor walks in and then all those questions are gone and you're sitting there and you're like, nope, I have no questions. I'm good. And you totally missed your your opportunity to discuss really what's important to you. And so that's why we say bring a journal, make sure you're writing everything down for women, you know, whether it's your father or your husband, your brother, just ask and say, hey, did you talk to the doctor about this? And what did they say? Um, go over that. Because women know the healthcare system a lot better than men, because like I said earlier, we've been in the system as as children, going to the pediatrician, and then we start doing the OBGYN. And then if we have children, we've got the pediatrician again from a different perspective. It's no longer us going, it's us taking care of their, their kids. And so women are a real motivator. I know I myself, when we do events, I pull at those heartstrings. Of those men, we will have men come up to us with their kids, and you know we'll say, "Hey, we're doing this free screening for cardiovascular health. We're doing PSA testing. You know, come get your cholesterol, glucose tested." And men will come and say, "Oh, I got that done last week, or I'm getting that done next week." Usually, I don't believe them, <laughs> but because it's it's very hard to to know that that's actually happening. So if they have their child with them, then I'll say, "You know, your son there." Don't you want to see him, you know, score the winning touchdown at his high school football game or don't you want him to be the quarterback at, you know, for the Seattle Seahawks? You know, for y- your daughter, don't you want to walk your daughter down the aisle? Do you don't you want to be there? It's all you need to do is take this little test, you know, it's a simple blood test. You know, it'll tell you Im- immediately your cholesterol, your glucose numbers, your PSA test will come to you mailed in a week you know, it's just about knowing what it is. So I will encourage them for that. I'll even say, don't you want to grow old and sit on the porch in your rocking chair with your wife at an old age? Half the men will say, "Uh, she's going to nag me to death. And the other half will say, oh, yeah, I really want to be with my wife, you know, for the long run. It's always funny, you know, when when you talk to these men, and you really show them that it's not just about them, you have to make it about someone else for them to really take it personally.
0: Anna, how do we advocate for men in the workplace? We talk a lot about finding the time for health, actually making time to to take a break from work to get to a doctor's appointment or to sit in on a telemedicine visit. What should we be doing, whether it's you in the Men's Health Network or we as leaders in men's health in the clinical practice?
2: So we at Men's Health Network try to encourage employers to make that time for the employees to be able to go and either see someone at the health center or to encourage good health care practices. And so offering an incentive for the men if they go to the doctor. So whether it's lower insurance rates or it's a gift card to a gym, paying one month of the gym membership, some kind of reimbursement, always encouraging these men to to participate in some way. For hospital centers like yours, Making the time, making the availability for these guys to be able to come in and making them comfortable at it, offering the telehealth option, especially when the internet came around and guys could be anonymous and asking questions. You saw a lot more of them on the forums asking specific questions. I really applaud those men that have written into you guys and asked questions about their penis or you know any other issues that they have because they may not feel comfortable doing that in a face-to-face. Or if it's to a male, oh, I don't want him to think that I'm less of a man than he is because I'm saying this or I'm bringing this up. So it really is just trying to get them to feel comfortable and offering different solutions for them and see which one they take.
1: Anna, what resources can you offer to our listeners here in Seattle?
2: Obviously, everyone can visit the org website. We do have our online resource center, which is linked from the website, that has a lot of information on various health conditions. You can definitely, in the local area, contact your local hospital. I would recommend, you know, in this case, UW Men's Health Center for June Men's Health Month. This is the perfect time to step up for yourself. If you're not going to do it for yourself, then do it for the people that are in your life. And there's different online resources as well. You can find some on our men'shealthnetwork.org website, but I'm sure also that you can find them at the, uh, the Men's Health Center website as well.
1: That wraps up the June edition of Men's Health Monthly featuring special guest Anna Tomsic, vice president of the National Men's Health Network, one of the coordinators of National Men's Health Month. If you have a question for my co-host, Dr. Tom Walsh, please send us an email at the anonymous inbox, at dot com. We will not reveal your identity. And a reminder that June is National Men's Health Month, perfect time to make changes, good health changes that perhaps you've been putting off. Actually, every month should be Men's Health Month. On behalf of my co-host, Dr. Tom Walsh and Anna Tomsik, I'm Neil Scott, wishing you good health and good sense in matters relating to men's health. Stay healthy, live in gratitude, and be kind to one another. And Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Men's Health Monthly with Dr. Tom Walsh, Associate Professor of Urology at the University
2: of Washington and Director of the UW Men's Health Center, and your host, Neil Scott.